Look out, it's coming at you. It's another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. oh my. That sounded pretty severe. Yeah, a little robust, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And welcome. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we are The Dice Are Screaming Podcast. The Dice Men are here with you, and you're with us. So, how are you? Yeah, the warm egg salad sandwich of gaming podcasts is with you once again. Warm egg salad sandwich. Well, you know, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Better than the hard-to-fold roadmap. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You can't eat the hard-to-fold roadmap. No. Although, no. you may regret that warm egg salad sandwich coming an hour or two down the road. But just don't take any long trips. Yeah, this this is one where, you know, just park close to home. Yeah. So, with that, we're... Uh, Podcasting to you live from the Patton household, so welcome, and of course, we have some call-ins tonight. Yeah, Joe Richter ah. the Wheel to Woe podcast is going to grace us with some of his views of our past podcasts, and of course, uh, we last week we uh, talked about, well, last episode, we talked about uh, Planescape, so that seemed to be a pretty good co- topic. Oh, well, it was also an enjoyable topic, and it was a bit more of a discovery process for me, because there's a fair amount about Planescape that I was not familiar with. So I found it uh, not only, you know, fun discussing what I did know, but I also found it entertaining learning a bunch of things I didn't know. So, yeah, right. you know, I'm not just here, like, pontificating on the subject, man. I'm, I'm getting an education as we go, which... Goes to show you, no matter how old a gamer you are, there's always a new trick out there to learn somewhere. Yep, and you know, we, we just cover topics as they come to us, and we bring them to you. So, that's just one of the many services we provide here at the Dice Screaming Podcast. So, uh, without further ado... The rest have to be negotiated uh, in a back alley by a guy who sells stuff out of a, out of a minivan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with different don't colored doors. Yeah. Uh, if he asks if you want any ice cream, don't... No, no. Hold out for the bicycle. No, I'm just kidding. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but without further ado, let's turn it over to Joe Richter. Joey! <laughs> and take it away, Joe. Hey, what's up, boys? That was another fantastic episode. I just really love hearing you guys talk about the major settings because I never played in them as a kid. I never ran in them or anything so hearing you dudes go through them like this it's just awesome it gives me so much inspiration and piques my curiosity it gives me stuff to think about so thanks so much uh and also thanks for doing that episode on murph that was great to hear about that uh i'm actually using the uh castle from the back of that book um in my current campaign right now the Players are actually in there messing around. They kind of skip through the towers, but they're about to enter the keep. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, guys, thanks again. Have a good one and peace out. All right. Thank you for that, Joe. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, likewise, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun talking about the Merp episode, too. That that uh, I enjoyed. I've, I've got a little more you know personal, immediate, actual gaming time experience with that one. So that was... Well, all things Tolkien, uh, you you really can't go wrong with the classics, man. No. I always have a good time. Yeah, and you know uh, we're bringing you more uh, of the settings as we go along here. Uh, Ghost of Salt Marsh is coming out, so we'll be doing our Greyhawk one coming up here. Yeah, 
I'm looking forward to that in particular. I'm very fond of the Salt Marsh campaign uh, per our live cast. Uh, you know, I can't gush about it enough. So I'm, I'm really happy to see it get a retreatment and get the popularity it deserves, a, a reissue in, in this era. Instead of just like kind of being in the bin of history, uh, it oh, should kitty. be... It should be rightly included amongst the classics, because as a trilogy, it was a terrific piece of gaming publishing. It, it just was a great module series. So, hey, I'm pretty jazzed for that one. Right, and, uh, you know, also, uh, let us know how that Merp campaign comes out, because uh, the tower and all that stuff, uh, yeah, that little uh, Merp, the one in the back of the Merp book, if I'm thinking of the right one, it's uh, that's some classic stuff right there. So, well done. And uh, thanks again, Joe, for ideally in. played while listening to Tower of the Necromancer by Rush. Yeah, <laughs> uh, nothing like playing under black lights. Oh man! All right, now I feel like my '70s flashbacks have just been triggered. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. So speaking of '70s, uh, that's our topic for tonight. We're going to take you way back. Uh, it does have some. Where do we go in the Wayback Machine today, Mister Peabody? Well, we're going to go back to 1978, and move our way forward. We're going to cover the Satanic Panic. Yes. Yeah. We're going there. We've been saving this for a while. You know, we bandied this notion around, but we're finally going to do it. Uh, it's, it's too fun to not cover. Uh, and it is a unique piece of, like, you had to be there, uh, 80s gaming. You know, it, 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 the events predate the 1980s, but they kind of reached their their critical mass uh, during our youth at the time that we were first really diehard enjoying D&D as a game. So it, it's just indelibly marked on our consciousness of what gaming at that time was about. Uh, so why not? Yeah, so we're going to pull the trigger on that, but uh, we're going to leave you a little bit of suspense about all the applying details that we've assembled for you to talk about. And, of course, with everything that we do here at the Dice Screaming Podcast, we have to turn our time to our sponsors. So, we're going to let our sponsors have their way, and we'll be back with you after the break. So, stick around. All right, and we're back. Thank you. And welcome again back to the Dice Screaming Podcast. We return, as promised. Mm-hmm. So, we... Uh, alluded to our topic, which is, of course, the Satanic Panic. And so let's delve into it, shall we? Now, of course, uh, we start this off uh, basically like anything. We try to talk about the origin points, and you can go all the way back probably to the Salem Witch Trials about hysteria and things like that. But uh, we're going to kind of base it more in the 70s. Uh, the 70s were rife, especially in the early years, with... Uh, or part of the decade, with society going through a lot of drastic changes. And, of course, with that came a fascination with occult and satanic culture. And it permeated just about everything, from comic books all the way up to uh, movies. You know, of course, you had The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, but you also had uh, certain other aspects, too, like Anton LaVey. Now, uh, we're just going to spend a short time talking about Anton, because I think it's important to understand that he was a con man, he was a showman, and he was also a little bit of a philosopher. But uh, one thing that he did well was put his brand out there, and he made sure that he was the front man. 
Oh yeah, this guy was a master of getting free advertising from shock value. And this is not a new technique. It's been, you know, done throughout history by various persons. If you go back to Aleister Crowley, mm -hmm. uh, who by sheer shock value, you know, made quite the name for himself. He was called the Great Beast. Yes, well... Or I mean, self-titled. Yeah, yeah. self-titled Great Beast. You know, this guy, he knew how to get a crowd all riled up uh, by playing on superstition uh, and, you know, just their sense of revulsion and shock and horror uh, certainly fed to his ego. And same of Anton LaVey. He had really figured out that I'm tapping into a nerve that gets people upset, and I want them upset. I want my name known. They will remember me. doesn't matter if they, they hate me. That's not the point. Hate or love, leaving those aside, I'm known, and that's better than being unknown. Right, and you so can ask yourself... It worked. Yeah, you can ask yourself, you know, was he successful? And the point is, we're talking about him right now. And I think it's important to put it in there that he kind of entered the American consciousness that the Church of Satan was here to stay. It wasn't going anywhere. And with that, and also some of the other uh, pop culture movies, we mentioned The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, but uh, there was also uh, what were called exploitation films that featured Satanism or dark occult. Oh, certainly. The 1960s were literally ripe with them. The uh, late night double feature. Yep, uh, at the drive-in. You know, it wasn't always just vampires and the creature that ate Brooklyn. Uh, it was also, you know... Sheboygan. Sing yeah, the, <laughs> the creature that ate Sheboygan. And got indigested and went off and died. Uh, oh, too much cheese. <laughs> oh, oh. All blocked up. Oh. No, uh... There were lots of Satanic Panic-style movies. Uh, Diabolique, you know, just yep. lavish. Uh, lots of, you know, unnecessarily bared flesh and lewd scenes and implied hideous deaths and uh, just that kind of microculture was right on the fringe prior to the 70s. It was already there, but the powder keg got lit. Yep. And uh, it crept into the consciousness of people who never really gave it a second thought, you know. Yeah, and, you know, Marvel Comics had uh, the Son of Satan and the Daughter of Satan comics. Uh, you know, the devil himself was featured prominently in several issues of uh, comics of the era. So, you know, into that crept D&D. &D. And so this is where really our story starts. But with this, that is the preamble where the history kind of needs to be spoken about. So Dungeons and Dragons came in, and for the most part, it was fairly innocent of its own roots. I mean, it had an understanding that it was dealing with occult things, and it had trappings. Oh, certainly. And let, let's be specific that we were dealing with the creators of D&D were all rabid history buffs who were highly literate. Much of the material was, uh, for instance, drawn from the Bible, uh, and many of the things that weren't were drawn from the classical mythology. Uh, the, you can pick up a copy of Bullfinch's mythology and start flipping through there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's where that spell comes from. Yeah, but also uh, a healthy dose of deism to add some authenticity to its magical allure. And there were references to materials which can be found in the uh, antiquated Catholic grimoires, uh, you know, including the grimoire of Pope Honorius, uh, which, if you're familiar with, is a 
basically a collection of names of demons and, you know, the, the powers to hold them in abeyance and, you know, uh, you know, command their obedience or to force them to depart. Uh, these were historical documents. You know, it was not like D&D &D got this whole cloth out of the pop culture satanic movement, which, you know, the, the two separate groups, uh, the growing interest in D&D &D and the growing occultism, actually sprung up almost whole cloth separately. Yeah. With one being much more closely rooted in historical data drawn from actual texts, and the other being a little more fanciful and imaginative and mostly, you know, about making a big splash. Uh, yeah, making, getting your character leveled up, getting a magic kind of, you know, these were all things that you did. And, you know, whether you were a magic user or a cleric, you kind of had some kind of root in this kind of mismatch of uh, this gestalt, I would say, of uh, occultism and a little bit of, yes, Satanism. Because, well, when the Monster Manual came out with its list of devils and demons, some of them uh, did, in fact, have historical forbearance. Oh, absolutely. It's, it, specifically, the very first editions uh, listed... I mean, if, if they're looking to name all of these things on their own, uh, and they had gone for just brand new spanking unknown names, uh, yeah, you're actually talking about a heck of a piece of work. But if you're already copying crib notes out of Catholic theological documents from hundreds of years ago, why not just go whole hog and hijack the names too? Yeah, right. And so this, uh, of course, uh, was not done with any real malice. It was just done as a nod to classical literature and a little bit of the backdrop of Christian mythos and uh, no uh, a slight to Christianity for that but you know the trappings of Christian mythos were factored heavily in early editions of D&D so oh, yeah the, the power of the cleric uh, to you know drive such things away was already like well in place mm -hmm. at the same time that this was being released uh, the Paladin in Hell is an actual illustration in the player's handbook. You know, the oppositional relationship of the players and player characters to the powers of Hell and or uh, the Abyss, the oppositional relationship is pretty clearly established for anybody who's even trying to look. Uh, however, in some circles, the mere reference of names to these things meant ill. Right, and so in the 80s, as the game began, began to become more popular, um, so did the Satanic Panic take full form. And it was a backlash against a lot of the things that were happening. I mean, you literally had uh, don't do drugs. You had commercials, you know, uh, telling you that your kids are doing drugs, going to join gangs. And violence was on the <laughs> Is rise. Is your teenager rebellious? They're on drugs. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. All right. Way to cast the net wide there, champ. <laughs> and along with uh, rock and roll music and uh, girly books and Dungeons and Dragons uh, would become part of this culture. You know, oh, uh, boy. Yeah, there was like literally nothing. I, nothing other than like that. You name it. I mean, air is satanic and will lead you astray. It just, right. Walking. Thinking. <laughs> oh, thinking, man, that's terrible. Um, oh man, it'll be it'll lead to ruin. Sure, it'll lead to ruin. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. There was an entire 
litany of things that you could lead us all horribly astray. And uh, for those of us who were in church-going families at the time, we got to hear plenty of it. Yep, oh. and that's where it started, at the pulpits and the leaflets. And, of course, the infamous Jack Trick, Jack oh. Chick uh, Dark Dungeons tract. We would be remiss if we didn't reference that particular piece of fecal matter. Uh, yeah, what a bunch of hogwash, huh? Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, first, I mean, you could really tell that the guy hadn't even sat in on a game. You know, just, you, you could really tell at the outset that he had a mental picture of what this was that was nice and safe and far removed from actual contact with the game. <laughs> yeah, the mind bondage spell. I never learned that one. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't even find that in the uh, player's handbook. Uh, although, you know, Charm person? I, you, like, you, you couldn't just use the term charm person? Uh, no, but, you know, I will give it to Jack Chick. Is it has to the... be more, you know, sensational. You know, just more horror. Mind bondage. You know, just, whoa. All right. Uh, I, I'm detecting almost an envious fetishization. Yeah, fetish. Of the things that he hates. Oh, is uh, a good, uh, that description. But, you know, I would say one of his illustrations did show a Dungeon Master screen. So at least somebody somewhere... Yeah, they, they had at least gotten some idea that, like, there's some dice involved. And a DM screen and character sheets. And... Yeah, they, they had the, the most elementary basics down. Uh, yep, and, you know, to add to this, if you're uh, uh, Dallas Egbert III... Yeah. Disappearance. This um, is the famous case that happened right here in Michigan. Okay, that for Michigan you. gamers. Yeah, at Michigan State University. Uh, when they talk about, oh, isn't that that game where people like get lost in the tunnels and the steam tunnels, know, yeah, uh, and they they disappear forever. Well, you know, the overblown hype, the the excitement over it went way beyond the actual facts. And if you if you root around in the case, it's far less terrifying and glorious than people would imagine. It was it was given a spin by sensationalistic media that certainly sold papers. Yeah, know. and also uh, Mazes and Monsters, the movie with Tom Hanks. Its truth was so boring, so mundane, and so sad that you'll never hear any corrections. Yeah. You know, they, they just like, oh, wow, I don't even want to touch that. That was just... I, I was really hoping for something like, you know, big and splashy. Yeah, they was just down there, still lost in his own delusions. But nope, no. And you know, adding to that, as I just mentioned about the Mazes and Monsters film, and a book called Dungeon Master, and a couple others. Yeah, they really took off as like D and D was a mind cult, mind control cult, and it was taking over your kids and. <laughs> You know, the religious fundamentalists jumped on it, and boy, did they go to town with it. They got oh, a lot of mileage out of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, 60 Minutes interviewed uh, Gary Gygax and members of TSR, and uh, it you know, came up several times that uh, does this lead uh, people to uh, exaggerated mental states uh, where they lose track of reality or become absorbed in the game so much that they lose track of their reality. And... You know, uh, Gygax and the others would just try to poo-poo it, but the media, again, never missing an opportunity to go sensationalist. Well, and let's be super candid, okay? If you take a person who is vulnerable for perfectly legitimate psychological reasons, and there are such people, there are people who have absolutely legitimate conditions that put them at risk 
uh, for delusional states. It does not matter what you introduce them to. It does not matter if it's D&D, it does not matter if it's rock and roll, it does not matter if it's a traditional marriage or a popular faith or whatever. Or a whatever game of Candyland. Yeah, whatever they brush up against in their state puts them at risk of incorporating that into some kind of lurid fantasy or weird misbehavior. Uh, you know, there are people who do terrible things because they're not well and it's not really acknowledged that maybe they needed intervention, they needed help. And that's actually really sad to me. That that bothers me. But D&D, like everything in existence, can be impacted against by people who are probably not going to deal well with anything ever. <laughs> they're not gonna they're not gonna deal well. But is the game uniquely capable of doing harm to a person who otherwise would have been fine? No, it's not. Yeah, and that 60 Minutes interview would leave the question hanging, and it would be revisited time and time again, and uh, that added to some of the disappearances, of, as we mentioned, of uh, Dallas Egbert III. We also have to mention uh, Patricia Pulling's uh, son's suicide, who was also heavily involved in Dungeons & Dragons. And while she would, at times... Be a sympathetic character uh, in this uh, kind of drama that was playing itself out in the media. Um, she was uniquely possessed that it was Dungeons and Dragons, and more to the point, a satanic conspiracy aimed at taking over your children. And she yeah, had this, several. This ad- is where it all stitched together. This she like the union of of bothered about Dungeons and yep, Dragons. That's group that she, she founded. Formed. Uh, the union of that with the religious rights already pre-existing uh, hatred, fear, and loathing of D&D in general, they formed this coalition, and it started to gel into a picture that at any moment, even the most minute contact with D&D can transform your child into a uh, satanic play servant. Yep, a plaything of Satan. And... You know, it would go on, and players who the were... devil makes work for idle hands. Like, well, mine are busy. I got dice. Jeez. Yeah, I got character sheets to call, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, free time. Jeez, I got to get ready for the game this week and catch up my homework. Oh man. Um. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it did come into that kind of coalition, but more importantly, it would also uh, begin to form, uh, rather eerily, a force that kind of took a life of its own, and book burnings at churches. Bring your D&D manuals, your books, burn them. Uh, Players were warned. You know, most of us at the time were teenage. And so, you know, we depended on our parents for uh, transportation to and from gaming areas. Yeah. And contact with our friends. And they began to disappear. Yeah. Not like like they were abducted or anything like that, but they didn't show up at the table because, well, I can't show up because my mom says, you know, it's not a good game and uh, you know, I don't want to get in trouble, so Yeah, they're just you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna transport me and even if I got a ride from somebody else they wouldn't let me go. Yeah, yeah that that became the reality that uh, people were erring on the side of caution, not because there was firm data, but because there was enough media spin in the air fluffing the, the subject up that, yeah, they were concerned. You're like, well, I don't know how I should feel, but I'd rather err on the side of caution because people care about their kids. That's normal, you know. 
Uh, mine, on the other hand, uh, to give a counterexample, were like, oh my god, he's reading books by the score and he has friends. <laughs> right, and you know, it was a social. Wait, wait. He, he socializes with other people? Yep. We, we finally got him to like put the book down and go outside? Oh my god. Where did this game come from, and who can we thank for it? <laughs> and, you know, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, they had to quit playing because of parental pressure. And, well, you know, enough about that. I mean, it, that was the climate that we were in, and uh, it was not a fun one. And, you know, slowly but surely it would fade away, but... Uh, you know, uh, Bothered About Dungeons & Dragons would remain for about another decade, and even law enforcement would start to pick up on it. That was one of the warning signs of cult involvement. And cults were supposedly everywhere, manipulating things, uh, kidnapping your pets and sacrificing them in parks. Oh, yeah. I mean, what you, what you really had was, like, somewhere out there, somebody's turning into a junior serial killer, and they're in that, like, budding process... Uh, but law enforcement was busy looking for a bunch of people running around in robes with sacrificial daggers. And so, while law enforcement was duped into chasing shadows, a lot of crap that really probably should have been addressed in a very serious fashion just slipped under the wire, man. I mean, they, they had their eyes focused on what the local pastor... And, I, you know, who doesn't trust their local pastor? Okay, you, you, you look to somebody for advice, and... If they've all bought this this hype that is really spinning in their circles, uh, they were delivering misinformation even up to police and FBI officials who found themselves running down these crazy rabbit holes in search of Alice. And then they'd come out the other end of it and go, uh, we found nothing. I mean, I, I've been at this like two, three years. I got nothing. I, I literally just like exhausted a budget and personnel for you know, two, three years. Uh, I threw money at this like it was going out of style, and I got bupkis. So, yeah. yeah, that started the real fiscal reality of chasing total bunk had more of a positive impact in ending the satanic panic than anything else. Because guys who count beans for a living started adding things up and going, wow, it costs a lot to chase total bullcrap. And... <laughs> You know, with our Planescape uh, uh, session last episode, we talked about uh, the uh, admission of demons and devils out of uh, the second edition initially. And this was due to it, and this is why we thought we would talk about it, because it also impacted us greatly. I would not say that like we were traumatized, but it definitely no. colored our experience. So, I mean, we did our thing. I mean, I listened to heavy metal music and with really dark tones. I mean, Black Sabbath. And uh, uh, even Judas Priest no. and... Uh, and then Celtic Frost. Well, yeah, that would come a little bit later. But, you know, the, by that time, it, you know, the, the shock... Into Crypt of Rage. Yeah, listen to that. Morbid Tales. Yeah, um, marvelous album, actually. But, uh, yeah, point being, I mean, you know, we were there in that era listening to the rock and roll that we liked. I listened to a lot of Rush. and yeah. Believe me, there was some flack over that cover on the early Rush albums. I think it was uh, Caress of Steel mm -hmm. at the guy standing in the pentacle. Yeah. Um, you know, which ah, look, you know, it was 1972 or something like that, or 1974 when that came out. So, uh, I, I, I can understand that you're pretty rebellious, but 
Yeah, when you're trying not to get the stink eye from your pastor. Um, <laughs> yeah. That album didn't help. <laughs> and, you know, we did our, we still did our thing, and we had a lot of fun. and uh, But it, it did factor in. Um, a couple of uh, gamers just couldn't attend because of uh, pr- pressure from their parents and whatnot. And once you get out on your own, you know, you can uh, have a lot more say in what you do and what you think. And that's just the kind of the breaks, but it came at a really weird time for us. And if there's a reason why, when, like, I think it was a 2013, Pat Robertson started coming out again about World of Warcraft, should I be, you know, somebody did the right into the 700 Club? Which really, you know, to, to fill in the blanks, all you have to do in any year is what's popular right now? Is there something that people like? And then you will find these amoral baboons flapping their gums on television, beating their breasts. This is a thing that will lead to Satan because people like it. You know, and he alluded to, well, I don't know about World of Warcraft, but, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, ruined people's lives. More like you guys ended up ruining people's lives over it. And that acknowledgement makes it kind of bitter for me to look back with any type of rosy memory, but... It did kind of also give us a rallying point. We drew strength from the fact that, you know, we were we were not doing anything harmful. We were, yes, enacting juvenile power fantasies, playing elves and dwarves, smashing uh, wizards in the face and kicking orcs in the teeth. But we were having fun. I sack-punched Orcus with my mace. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I died hideously afterwards. But it was totally <laughs> worth it. Totally worth it. Pow! Right in a sack. I went after it like a speed bag, just But I also would say that, you know, it did increase my reading, and I did drift into occult tomes and uh, lore, not out of any curiosity to learn how to become an, uh, involved in the cult, but that it was all interesting. I had a certain familiarity with it just from playing Dungeons & Dragons because they use these trappings. And, you know, so if there was like a moment where you could say, was it got gateway into occultism well you know curiosity is a strange thing oh hey you want my gateway i mean i can actually tell you precisely what the gateway was uh, i believe i was about eight or nine when i read le mort de arthur uh the death of arthur uh, which was the arthurian legends uh, yeah sir and, mallory uh, i was an avid reader and you know a great many the, the early protean science fiction of Jules Verne was of huge interest to me, even as a little kid. I loved it. Uh, Around the World in 80 Days by whatever means. You know, just, I was already asking questions and curious about everything long before D&D showed up and gave me a circle of friends to play with who also shared my interest in a lot of different books, uh, for which I am eternally grateful. Uh, my, My social skills were greatly improved by it, and my my already existing love of history was only enhanced by it. So. Right, and that's where I was going. Is like Besides just the cult themes, I also uh, branched out into history and uh, also into uh, spiritual tomes and uh, themes from other people like Jung and Campbell. You know, they were very weighty subjects because they were familiar. And, uh, you know, I had Dungeons & Dragons to think a little bit for that. But, you know, that's what I said is curiosity is a strange thing. And it is a sign of, it's a good thing. It should always be fostered. And I kind of thought it was cruel in a way for these people had good intentions, but they had the worst ways of showing it. 
I'm actually willing to throw down and question that because I, I, I know that there was a profession of good intentions, like, you know, for the children. Well, of course. But I, I've seen a lot of instances where it's really more about an amoral exertion of authority uh, and a willingness to lie, uh, terrorize others, and mistreat people, uh, to spread falsehood and to hurt other people, to maintain control over others. And that does not come from a good place. I, I don't think there's any circumstance. I'm protecting you from yourself. What? Through intentional untruth well, and yes, deliberate cruelty? I let don't us think, also... Uh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't buy their excuse. Let's also uh, delve into it that not everyone was of that ilk. But, but I'm also notoriously unforgiving. A, a lot of nice people got duped into buying into the crap fest. Yep. Uh, and I shouldn't really be harsh on them. But the, the people who deliberately crafted untruths, you've got to ask yourself if your ethical system allows you, you know, like, well, I'm lying for the greater good. Well, what next? You know, murder? Well, <laughs> you're worried that gamers are going to be lured down a path to darkness. Well, in your quest to save people from themselves, you lied, cheated, and abused others. Yeah, not, not a great recipe there, man. I was not impressed. Well, I would say that in counter to that, that where I was coming from, I wasn't talking about Jack Chick specifically. No. But, uh, I mean, Jack Chick, uh, he passed away here a little bit ago, and uh, I actually, uh, on Facebook, Jolly Blackburn put up a little thing about it, and I gave my two cents, and it was pretty much on Mike's par that, you know, there were a lot of people hurt. It was disingenuous, and it came from a really rotten point of view that we have to protect yourself, uh, your kids from themselves. And anything I do is excused by that. And I'm like, and I'm like that no. is the logic of a terrorist, dude. <laughs> no, not anything is excused. <laughs> so if I give some people a pass, I'm talking from personal experiences, not oh, from yeah. the organization. I mean, they tried to, they were doing it for what the people in my life were trying to do it from a good point. I've known some incredibly amazing uh, pastors and some incredibly terrific priests over the years uh, that you know, are exceptional people of exemplary compassion. So I, I, I do know that there is an example of the opposite out there, and I'm very fond of all of those people. So, But, uh, you know, nowadays uh, I go to the church and say play, I play D&D, &D, and people have just gathered around me and just... Uh, hey, can uh, I oh, jump yeah? on? Yeah. You, let's what, jump on board. So, you know, how times have changed, and yeah. I'm happy for that. And so to kind of put a, you know, a smiley face at the end of our bitterness, I said that... Uh, much like uh, that end part with Jack Chick, the, you know, the guy ended up hurting a lot of people. And not just with the dark dungeons. He had other things, and I'm not going to cover them here. <laughs> it, it, it became ultimately such a ludicrous internal meme before the era of the internet that, like, this tract existed. That it was ultimately uh, converted into a marketing product. Somebody produced their own Chick-style tract to guerrilla market mm -hmm. uh, their newly released game, you know, and it was just a, a spin on his Dark Dungeons. Uh, but I still have a copy of that tract somewhere. Because yeah, I, I, I kept it. I was like, wow, it's gone full circle. You know, like, they're like, this is so awesome. People love these things. They just look in them to see how lurid and crazy it's going to be, and boom, they'll read about our product. Uh, that, that, he deserves a little credit for. Yep, because we <laughs> took it away from him. We made it our own. But more to the point here, I would like to end this with, um, is that while we went through some hard times and, you know, there was some points where 
it was kind of depressing and even scary. If there's a reason why we kind of tense up about it when it's raised up again. Gets the hackles going. Because I don't want to see other people go through that again. Well, yeah, if you're 13 or 14, you're not especially eloquent and you're not especially worldly. How do you respond to people in a language that they will understand uh, when they have gotten into the grips of hysteria and mm -hmm. they're absorbing a lot of misinformation? It is incredibly hard to be taken seriously when you say, yeah, I don't know where any of that is coming from. But you, you don't know how to eloquently put it to them in a way that they will grasp. Uh, that's the polish of decades later. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if, we, if we're sitting here now, our answer is, you know, like, never again. Uh, right. We, we must speak for those who are not yet able to voice themselves, you know, adeptly. Right. And, you know, much like Mike said, is that a lot of these people did come from a bad place. And I was just trying to make a good point, is that not everybody was our enemy. But no. There were plenty of them already. So, you know, we had to kind of like bear it down. I was like, well, it's not a game like you think it is. It's there's nothing involved. It's just oh, my a gosh. That's a great point. Because years have passed since I've had to explain it at such length. Yeah. But then, you know, if you were... But by the time we were 17 or 18, almost every new introduction of the game to a stranger uh, meant having to yeah. fill in all this backstory, yeah. explaining, like, okay, this is not what you think, okay. You've heard some stuff, but we're here to tell you, it ain't like that. Uh, which uh, actually reminds me of an incident up in Lansing uh, before D&D got cooler. Uh, this was about 20 years ago. I, I just... Uh, <clears throat> uh, there was a tryst that evening, uh, uh, and it was it was great. Okay, it was pretty awesome. Uh, you know, came back from the nightclub and uh, <clears throat> one of those stories. Yeah, danced the night away. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, the kimono will remain closed here. Anyhow, uh, getting up in the morning, you know, the lights are on, and I'm making coffee and putting together a little breakfast for somebody as a way to say thank you. They get a look at my bookshelf, and on the bottom row is nothing but D&D manuals. And they go, oh my God, you're a nerd. <laughs> I'm like, well, nobody was complaining last night. That's right. <laughs> so that's a good way to but, end but it. Times have changed. Times have changed. You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, uh, now there's almost an equal likelihood that somebody would look at that bookshelf and go, oh, badass. Uh, can I play? <laughs> and that's the best way to end this podcast. We thank you for sticking around and listening. We hope you learned something. And of course, if you have any comments or questions about what we talked about tonight, feel free to give us a shout out either here on Anchor or on our Dice or Streaming Facebook page or on Twitter where you can find me at Death Hand Gaming and myself at Magi Box. That's right. So look for us there and let us know what you thought. And if nothing else, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.